Hi, JLAG listeners. We are Nicola, Sue, and Andrew, three young politics students and international friends passionate about water affairs and eager to share our views on what's going on around the globe at the moment. Please follow us at Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also support us via Patreon. We hope you enjoy. All right, here we are. Welcome, everyone, and to all our listeners,、uh, welcome to the new、uh, Jetlag episode. And here we are now with、uh, our new episode, which I'm very excited、um, to host、uh, today, together with、uh, Sue and Andrew. We'll be having a discussion about India and especially about the India、um, startup scene, which,、uh, of course, is a very interesting. Topic、uh, India has is、um, in terms of econ- economy and of course in terms of uh, uh, startups has been on the news for a while and、uh, we have、uh, all observed the the very incredible rise in uh,、um, the the India startup scene and today India is the third uh, uh, country for startups we have uh, uh, two amazing guests、uh, Ishani and、uh, Sarah. So Ishani and Zara, maybe you want to introduce yourself first to our listeners. Definitely, thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm Ishani, and I'm the founder of an early stage startup here in India called Econet. So we are a B two B platform that connects businesses with sustainable alternatives, so that you can make your business sustainable instantly and easily. So sort of, kind of like a mediator and a matchmaker for、uh, sustainable businesses. That is our expertise. And、um, uh, over over to Sarah. Yeah. Hi. Thank you so much for having us.、Uh, my name is Sarah, and I am currently working with a research-based think tank which works on parliamentary affairs in India. I'm also a huge startup nerd, so I follow the startup scene quite well. And I'm helping Ishani with one of、uh, her as her advisory member、uh, on Econet. And I also dabble with India-China relations. I founded my own website on that. So yeah, I'm really happy to be here and happy to answer any of your questions that you might have. Great. I mean that's a very very、uh, good kind of combination of expertise because today we'll be talking about, of course, the kind of economic side and the startup、uh, side, kind of the more entrepreneurial side from a very practical point of view with Ishani's story as well, and then we'll also、uh, talk about kind of the more policy related aspects of、um, uh, the, the, the、um, startup sector in India. So I would start、uh, if Andrew and Sue don't have any preliminary questions. Um, Annie. Yeah, I was gonna jump in.、Um, I was gonna ask, honestly, because that's very inspiring. That at such a young age, you have you have broke away from the corporate world, from the policy world, and decided I want to do my own thing and start your own company. And that's very admirable, especially、um, in India. So I'd love to hear your story and how is how was or how is it like being a woman in the the entrepreneurial scene and how has policy played a role、uh, within starting your company. Yeah, Andrew, that is a great question.、Um, I think、uh, honestly, I feel like when you、um, 
you know want to start something of your own it doesn't even have to be your own startup it can be any initiative and as a woman i i guess um uh there like if you if you think about uh how society looks upon you know entrepreneurship like as being a women entrepreneur a lot of people definitely um don't understand if like you know at what stage you are at you know currently so even especially if supposing you're an early stage startup people would usually consider this like oh okay you know she's just doing it as a hobby and it's not like a real thing that she's doing and i have gotten those kind of comments i'm not going to lie so um y- you do but at the same time you get a lot of uh um different perspectives as well because i uh, i have also interacted with a lot with a number of women entrepreneurs um in india and they are so inspiring to just hear their stories you just feel extremely motivated and you really want to continue on you know whatever you've created so i i guess when it comes to the uh, uh um entrepreneur entrepreneurial scene uh, and if we can relate it to um um uh, women i would uh, i would suggest that it I, i think that there is definitely um that this uh, scene is definitely progressing but at the same time we need to be extremely resilient and we need to be strong and uh, be inspired to continue what we're like sort of focusing on so kind of mixed perspectives but i feel like a lot of policies are definitely coming in there is an incubator that is sort of focused on mainly women entrepreneurs in india as well so a lot of different innovations are coming to tackle you know certain challenges that we face as women entrepreneurs so i honestly highly respect that and um and and yeah that has sort of been my perspective on the whole scene yeah yeah i mean we will we will definitely have time to discuss in more detail kind of the more women women related aspects but um since i know ishani personally um and we're very good friends uh i just uh, know that uh, she started as you said andre i don't know if you knew that but ishani actually started from policy uh, environment because um, ishani did uh, we did uh, we, we we studied politics together at kings and then uh, ishani uh, you can t- tell it now but uh, she worked for the un as well in india and then she moved into kind of the more uh, entrepreneur and startup sec startup environment so maybe you want to tell how you got maybe you want to tell the story of how you got into you know this entrepreneur uh, thing and why you decided to do that and maybe you can tell a bit you know more about your business and the story behind it and you know what were the main if you had to name you know the main three challenges you faced uh, what were they All right. So, great questions again. Um I would like to start off by just sort of talking about my experience at the UN. Uh so I worked with the United Nations Development Program for uh uh almost a year and a half and we focused on this one project called the Disha project where we basically empowered a lot of women entrepreneurs coming from uh underprivileged uh, uh, areas especially the rural areas in India so the thing was that a lot of um a lot of these entrepreneurs they had to either abandon their homes or they had to sort of um think of various ways to finance their startups because they were not getting any so 
form of funding and they didn't have the resources to even you know um you know think about their business they didn't have any form of educational resources as well so that's when undp stepped in and that's when the whole idea of the disha project was uh, you know created where we would empower and also uh, give all of these women entrepreneurs um, you know funding opportunities and educational opportunities as they can start their own venture now i think that's where i got inspired i think when people start their own business or even you know start their own initiative um at that time i think people would always like look up to you know jeff bezos and like so many you know billionaires and uh, i think that would also create sort of a misconception about entrepreneurs but i think you should get inspired by the people who have actually done so much of research from the grassroot level itself the the women who had actually had to you know uh, flee their homes abandon their families had to do so many sacrifices to start their own business and i think that's really inspiring i think people need to take them as role models not you know i feel like of course like you know the people who have already established their businesses definitely but people who are also starting out so that's how i sort of got inspired and uh, you know you know thought of started my uh, starting my own venture uh, just also just wanted to let everybody know that my first venture was actually um called adapt and we were basically making uh, mask pouches um you know made from ethical uh, fabrics however that didn't work out and that's when the whole idea of resilience came in and i sort of let go of that idea and i then and then seeing the challenges that i faced when i started adapt i tried to pivot and that's how econet was created because i realized that there was a lack of resources in terms of getting connected to the right manufacturers and um, right retailers and the right people i didn't have that network and i realized that a lot of people don't have that kind of network when they start out that's the whole idea of when of how econet started and how econet was created and 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 if you had to name three main challenges that you faced in in this journey what would they be so the first one would definitely be a lack of resources so i felt that um um it, when when it comes to entrepreneurship again i feel like a lot of people have misconceptions about it people think that oh you know when you start something then it's definitely going to be successful when we think of entrepreneurs i'm pretty sure we think of like that sort of hand gesture like where people are like oh okay you know we've got it all sorted together oh okay we're going to get ourselves a nice bmw you know we're an entrepreneur those are like you know typical sort of adjectives that are also associated with entrepreneurship we're going to do our own thing but i feel it's more than that and it's a lot of risk as well and there's always a feature called validating your idea constantly which is very challenging so i think um in terms of so i guess validation of your business idea is a challenge uh finding the correct resources is also a challenge and also dealing with um and being careful with you know people you interact with so those were three challenges that i did face um when it come when it came to starting up uh, so so those were the uh, kind of points that yeah right that's incredibly horrible i mean that reminds me of i guess two connections so um before the pandemic for the world changed i initially was supposed to get shipped out 
uh, got approved to, for the United States Peace Corps to go uh, to get shipped out to West Africa to go do a mm-hmm. assignment there and to assist local world entrepreneurs to grow their, their businesses, whether it, be, uh, whether it be selling agriculture, whether it be selling crop, or whether it be in tech. Um, but of course, the pandemic happened and the United States had to fly hundreds of thousands of Peace Corps volunteers back to the States. Um, but I'd love to hear you, like what kept you going through that whole time of finding funding? Like what was your vision in the end and what do you see yourself in the next few years? Um, that is a very interesting question. I'm sure like Sarah can also um, um, pitch in because I feel like, I guess, um, I would also like to sort of talk about the fact that as I guess people who are in their early 20s, right, sometimes you also don't know if, you know, uh, every that that, you know, everything is, uh, you know, sorted out, like, you know, it's all sorted out, like and everything. Because oh, I feel don't like, get started. Don't, don't yeah, start. exactly. I'm pretty sure all of us can relate to this because you want to explore so many different avenues as well. So I don't know what life is going to be like, you know, five years down the line. I don't know if Econet is going to exist as well. But I know one thing for sure that like, you know, maybe two years down the line or something like that, I know that hopefully I will still be working towards it because I do understand that I do have uh, a passion for, you know, the thing uh, for, for Econet because I believe that in terms of the community that uh, we've created, it's it's really, really interesting to see like-minded people just get together. So that's always, uh, that's always there. And I think like what... I would, you know, maybe think about when it comes to funding um, and the psychological aspect of, you know, what I would go through. It's like, I guess you just, that's the first skill set that I feel like people really need to understand when it comes to entrepreneurship. You really need to be resilient and you need to be strong. It's not going to be easy. So like, unless you have a passion for, you know, what you're creating, definitely go into this. But at the same time, you need to realize that at any time, because the market is very dynamic. So at any time, maybe my business idea will not work out. And you should be fine with it that, okay, fine. If this doesn't work out, I do have, you know, some sort of options that I can rely on, or there are some certain, you know, kind of interests that I have as well. And I feel like I'm not trying to be very negative about this. I'm not trying to say like abandon whatever you're trying to do or in life, but I'm just trying to say, I think, and this is not only for entrepreneurship, that also, this is also for, I guess, people um, who are working. And I think Sarah can also, you know, have have like so many inputs on this as well. Is that like you just at the end of the day, I guess we talk about mental health. I think we should also talk about mental fitness, <laughs> which I feel is, you know, needed as well, right? So like, and I think we can always do that by just sort of, um, you know, spreading positivity and also not being guilty. I know I'm kind of digressing from this topic, but I thought that these were the kind of sort of things that really helped me. Not being guilty when you're taking a break and just sort of, you know, trying no, to be I, happier. I completely agree with you that on you said something very intelligent about how you perceive your role as an entrepreneur and how 
entrepreneurship is perceived and you know the the picture that is given because i can relate for example because um i recently started a project that is not really what is usually considered to be an entrepreneurship project i mean it's not a project that is primarily aimed at um at profit is not something very techy or you know fancy it's something very cultural is a bit of a niche you know we, it's a, a pr project to promote language um you know the ha language heritage uh, in italy and you know i don't really see it personally as an entrepreneurial thing and i i keep saying oh you know that's something just that, as you were saying like a hobby you know something on the side and but now that the thing is kind of going somewhere i feel like right this is actually something where I have to switch into a more entrepreneurial mindset because nothing prevents me from thinking about it in a more entrepreneurial way. And while I'm thinking it in this way, I'm thinking also, right, what are on the other side? How is this project perceived on the other side? You know, are there enough resources for this kind of project where value and, you know, where you know, passion for this kind of, as you were saying, for networks, for people, for helping are more important maybe than direct profit, you know, and is there enough attention and resources for these things as well? Or are they considered just, you know, some hobby that you do on the side on some niche person who has a lot of money and time to spare to dedicate to these mm -hmm. things? You know, what do we, that's actually a very interesting question that we don't have time to explore, but I think you, you brought it out very well. What is considered to be a valid entrepreneurial project by mm -hmm. society and by people who actually do it? You know, like what is considered to be a startup that it deserves attention, you know, only those startups that promise a lot of profit or maybe also those startups where it's more about, you know, value for some very, even some niche, but intrinsic value that you can give something to society. I mean, there is a whole social enterprise thing, but uh, I mean, there, there is, it's quite an interesting question, what is perceived and what people perceive in entrepreneurship. But yeah, I, I wanted to move away then from, from here a second to think about the, the bigger picture in India and, and you guys and Sarah here, you, you can definitely give us some, some insight. So, I mean, I, I, I've been reading about it and I mean, as I was saying before, India is the third largest startup market in the world. Um, and what has been the development over kind of if you can give us maybe a very, um, very snapshot of what has been going on in India there on the spot? Uh, uh, has there been talking about this? Uh, is it something that is kind of buzzing, a buzzword? And is it like something where it is going? Do you see some some near future shifts or some things that are going to happen soon? Or do you see kind of a linear trend or, you know, you know, it's just uh, throwing it there. So, I mean, uh, I'll go first, I guess. So my opinion on the startup sector has been like ever since the Modi government came up with its startup India policy, they were very clear cut what they wanted. Uh, this was way before the pandemic, the Make in India initiative was launched as a sort of comeback towards uh, stopping the exports that were coming in from China. And they wanted to start making things in India itself and make it a more manufacturing hub than just a sort of service sector economy. So what happened was with the start of Startup India, they basically launched a program where they would start incubators, do a sort of 
government initiatives run women in entrepreneurship camps and other things by registering startups and now as far as i know the dppit which is the directorate for promotion of industry in india and the ministry of commerce um, they started uh, something called as invest india which is also there uh, which does work on startups and um, startup india primarily has noted that there are about 41000 startups registered in india which is quite a bit and what people underestimate about india is that we are a very populous country so if you if even 9 out of 10 startups fail the numbers are in our corner because you, the amount of people that start up with startups now bangalore being the silicon valley of india you can see things changing in a certain direction you're seeing more and more companies entering the unicorn label having a, a valuation of above a billion and um, doing quite well especially in the edtech space consider a byju's for example consider a udemy consider an academy the list goes on then you can take the healthcare sector there is farm easy that just entered the unicorn label there are other startups that are going in that direction there are also incubators in india that are doing quite well giving seed funding to early stage entrepreneurs which are who are like in college and think about it even a decade back right this wasn't happening especially in a developing country and i would still say india is a developing country given the numbers and the economic trajectory and what covid and how that affected us but if you see even after that india has managed to increase the number of startups it registers every single year with startup india and the reason for that is that the government there's a huge push from the government side to ensure that more startups come in place because what people don't realize is when more startups come in place they are also bringing with it more jobs and more economic stability in a way that is going to affect the gdp that is going to show uh, because the future is with the startups whether you believe it or not things have been very different for a while now pre covid post covid put that aside for a second when our parents were in college none of them envisioned that they would be working for places like say a zoom or a google or a facebook or anything for that matter right so 10 years from now maybe another decade or so there's going to be another revolution so what we're trying to prepare ourselves for is that before that comes along we upskill ourselves to be that kind of people that we can sort of make it to that revolution and not become redundant as ishani said the markets are dynamic and constantly changing so what are you doing to fit with the markets because the market doesn't fit with you you make sure you're okay to fit with the market Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's um that's a very good overview, I guess. And um you know, there is the elephant in the room as you said, which I rather not tackle, which is COVID. I mean, I could I could ask the the, the you know, classic question, what well, how did COVID uh, affect? Mm-hmm. But I think uh, we're kind of over that at this point. It, uh, in, I mean, it, it's it's very interesting because um it what clicks in my head at the moment and because I've been reading a lot about it. is uh, the parallel to china which is um i mean sorry you you or you also deal with china is the 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 we see kind of um 
backlash in China from in, in you know against uh, big uh, tech corporations uh, in terms of regulation, increased regulation, increased. Uh, um, limitations for startups. Uh, we we start to see a more, I don't want to say hostile environment there, but definitely some more um, careful dealing with these uh, larger companies. And as you were saying, we start to see some of these very huge uh, companies, tech companies in India, but most of them are relatively um, kind of medium-sized startups, a lot of them. Um, would you say you see something of that kind going in India towards a more concentrated economy where there are a lot, a, a few kind of tech giants that, I mean, in the future, you see these startups concentrating into a few tech giants as it happened, for example, in China or in the US where you have these dominators that dominate the global market. And do you think that Regulators, I mean, that's very speculative, I, I, I know, but maybe you have something to say about it, maybe not, don't worry. Whether they can, how regulators will react to that, whether they will prevent and copy what China is doing, for example, by limiting the, 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 the monopolies and, and try to keep it to a very, you know, broad but, but fragmented market, or do you see a, a direction to more concentration? So... I can't predict the future, but here's my two cents on it, right? Uh, I agree with what you're saying that companies might concentrate because that's what the pattern has been in the developing countries or countries like China, US, UK, the giants, as they call it. Uh, in India, we've started seeing those trend lines appearing with Baiju's acquiring multiple uh, other education initiatives and brands. They've acquired a bunch of things in the past. And... If that goes on, my prediction is uh, with the whole, should tech companies be monitored? I agree to an extent. There should be some sort of overarching policy or body, uh, maybe a, like data protection bill or an IT rules bill, which I think the Indian government is working on. They're working on a PDP bill, which is the personal data protection bill and the IT rules. So that when there are things at stake. These big giants, we don't know how privacy works. It's very scary. Uh, we don't know what the intricacies are of, as someone who comes not from a tech background, it scares me that I don't know what sort of backlash can it be. When I stick to that sign saying terms and uh, conditions agreed to them. None of us read the entire document, let's be honest. <laughs> so what are we signing up for at the end of the day? There should be a governing body that tells us, see, this, this, and this is happening, and you're going against the law of the land or the constitution by doing this. So there should be some level of uh, maybe um, authority or a policy figure and someone who holds someone accountable at the end of the day, right? We don't want tech companies to have a coup and just overthrow the government at some point, right? So there should be some sort of, uh, I feel, a body that overarches them and tells us what's right and what's wrong. Yeah, to definitely to add on to what Sarah um, is saying, I completely, I 100% agree because um, right now we are revamping our website and um, 
at the same time i'm extremely scared regarding uh, the data protection of my own website and my own company as well because there are several uh, sort of bills that are coming up but also i feel when it comes to policies it we should also make sure that they are they can be implemented as well um uh to a certain extent that it also becomes convenient for an entrepreneur as well or like you know so so called tech giants so that uh it just becomes more easier as well in terms of compliance regulations and i feel like that's also another area where we need a lot of innovations um so that we can make the whole process even easier for uh, for uh, for um entrepreneurs and even uh, entrepreneurs in the tech sector as well so that's what that's sort of my take as an entrepreneur <laughs> it's is so interesting to actually you meant you, you touched on uh, on their how startups kind of uh, amplify each other you know when you have I mean what you are doing yourself you know you you have a startup that kind of brings different startups together and they and this enhances other uh, the the whole market and and kind of you have this um, I don't get the the name now but the technical name but you have the kind of this I would say spillover effect but that's not exactly right where you basically have this kind of amplification because it's exponential I mean you get especially in the tech sector one startup helps a lot of start start startups um, achieving a certain level and then they themselves can help other startups uh, uh, moving through and actually even in the simplification and and regulation i mean i can think of so many ways a startup could deal could could be put there to simplify and help with all of that so you know it's really interesting once once you start thinking in this way where you can really see all the connections between uh, ideas and how they can amplify each other so it's, it's quite interesting but yeah, so um, let's let's kind of go back a bit to what we discussed at the very beginning, and um, maybe Sue here you can take over a bit since it's kind of your area of expertise. Somehow we're discussing more about women. So of course, as a woman entrepreneur, uh, you will have your own story. Uh, but what's generally at the moment? Uh, the, the, do you, in, in very simply put, do you see kind of an improvement in how? I mean, was there a problem, and it, do you see an improvement in the in in the situation for women entrepreneurs? Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know who wants to answer. You, you go for it. I think you you okay. want to start because I, I mean, yeah, yeah. So I can speak uh, on a broad based aspect. I feel when it comes to women entrepreneurs, uh, we have to see where we started from, right? A bunch of years ago, uh, we couldn't even imagine women leading the forefront, etc. And then look at Melinda Gates, look at other people doing tremendous amount of work, look at the founder of Bumble. Um, people have done a lot of great work when it comes to startups and women, if you see, can are more than efficient and more than capable of running their own uh, countries and apps and much beyond that but yeah i mean take for example the prime minister of new zealand right she handled the pandemic with such smartness grace elegance call it whatever and everyone was just wondering how was it possible right uh, that this happened and when we look at women entrepreneurs and the struggle that we went through uh, 
a lot of times when you pitch apps as women uh, versus men in the same incubator, you're looked down upon and th- thought, okay, this is a girly app. Mm-hmm. A lot of people said that about Nike. It's a girly app. Well, girly apps pay. Surprise, surprise. Women want to shop. They want to buy products. So do men. And if someone comes up with a brilliant model, how it works, doesn't matter what gender you come from at the end of the day, right? If it works, if it shows the numbers, and like you said, it's not just about the numbers at the end of the day. Some social entrepreneurs also end up making such good name for themselves. Like you don't need to show profit and loss statements in order for your business to be quote unquote successful. It can still be successful if you're making a difference at a grassroots level and it goes up and percolates to the masses. So what I'm trying to say is in a gist, things have changed for the better, but we still see that boys club happening when it comes to incubators. Because if you see that it's mostly people who give fundings, at least in a different sort of world. They are people who come from privileged backgrounds, who are mostly white privileged men. And uh, we have to see that diversity come around, I feel, at the end of the day. It's going to happen sooner or later, but it is happening. But I still feel that the numbers could be more, more efforts could have been done. Uh, We're on the right track. I just feel like it needs to percolate down to the masses at the end of the day, right? I 100% agree with uh, what Sarah has said. And I think to add on to um, uh, to her amazing views, I would also like to add uh, to the fact that when I also started out, um, I'm happy that m- my family has been very supportive of it. But I do know that of 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 my friends in my network who had started out as women entrepreneurs who didn't have such a great experience because um i think also when it comes to incubators and funding i actually went for this um i i had a meeting with uh, an uh, with somebody from the incubation sector in india and uh this lady told me and she was very supportive and but she told me that the reason why uh like men are chosen over women uh uh you know a male entrepreneurs are chosen over female entrepreneurs is because they people feel and this is a big misconception people feel that they have that men have a better set of network than women do and i feel like that's completely wrong because with because how can you have these preconceived notions that okay a, a man has a better network of uh, of entrepreneurs than a woman uh, than a, than a, than a female does and that doesn't make sense to me at all so there are already these preconceived notions that are already in you know in an investor's head right and i feel like once we uh you know, figure out a way to take those preconceived notions out of their heads, then I feel like we can try and make an impact. Are you suggesting that in the industry of, you know, um, related to sustainability and also for Sarah in terms of policy, what's the ratio of your industry? Do you think females are more than males in general? in in the startup industry or are you talking about in the sustainable sustainable um, i think the ratio i don't i wouldn't have the correct numbers in terms of um how like what number of females would be there but i guess it would be 
I'm guessing I think it should be like around uh, 50-50 because I definitely have seen a lot of um, uh, females in this field doing a lot of incredible stuff in this field, like female entrepreneurs. So I guess that would be my ratio. I'm not too sure about this, but if I don't have the numbers exactly. Our listeners, our listeners can double check. Yeah, definitely. You can let us know about that. <laughs> exactly. But, Write in the comments. Yeah. So yeah. would you like to add uh, anything? So policy is kind of tricky, right? Uh, it depends because I can't uh, tell you the exact numbers, but I would like to think that in India in general, women like in policy for in my industry, there aren't that many women as there are men. Rightly so, because a lot of women, Anishani, I think, would be able to elaborate on this, uh, tend to give up their job after they get married. That's mm. kind of the rule, sort of, in a lot of conservative families in India. We thankfully don't belong to that kind of family, mm. so we can't really say. But, yeah, it's hard making it as a woman in any field, let's mm. be honest. It's not easy, especially in a developing country where a lot of our customs and... Uh, society in general uh, wants you to behave a certain way and when you move away or steer away from the crowd there's a lot of backlash uh, again we belong to really privileged families who are very supportive so it's not the case but I can't really say the exact numbers but definitely the ratio is skewed yeah I, I actually that's something we left uh, unaccounted for but definitely something to, to kind of keep an eye on is the I mean, I know India is a very diverse country and uh, there is definitely kind of urban uh, countryside divide. And, you know, the, 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 I'm sure that different things could be said about different parts of the country. So it's something definitely to keep uh, in mind. But I'm mindful of the time and um, although it has been a pleasure and it has been a very interesting chat and I think uh, so many other things could be said about the topic uh, and maybe we could do a part two of it uh, but at the moment um, I would close it here unless Sue you have other or you guys you have other um, things to add as uh, closing remarks. No I'm fine thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having Thank us. <laughs> we honestly, we enjoyed this podcast and we loved the topics. Uh, Sue, Nico, Andrew, we honestly, we loved every single question um, being asked. And uh, well, we were also, I think it was a very engaging discussion and, and conversation. So Thank you. So, so formal. it's the work voice guys (laughs) yeah thank you very much and uh, have a good night and uh, afternoon day day. (laughs) (laughs) all right okay bye bye -bye. thank you very much bye bye